So for the past several weeks, we have been talking about prayer and uh, how ultimately we are reliant on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And whether it's uh, praying for God to move us when we are stuck or to expose that thing that is holding us back um, from experiencing the fullness of His blessings, together we pray with the understanding that only God can bring about our best outcome. That the reality is that we cannot manufacture growth or holiness on our own. But like a skydiver jumping from a plane is reliant on their parachute to make sure they don't go splat on the pavement, we too are reliant on the grace and the generosity of the Holy Spirit to experience God's preferred future for our lives. In the Gospels, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And this is the prayer of holy surrender in its very simplest form. Your will be done. The commitment to submit to the will of the Father is a theme that we see uh, pop up a few different times uh, in the Gospel according to Matthew. In chapter 26, we see Jesus eat the Passover meal with his disciples. Then Jesus, then Judas uh, is outed as the betrayer. And after dinner, Jesus goes to Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John, and we read these words. Then Jesus said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then going a little further, Jesus fell on his face and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then Jesus returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked? Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus then went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now, gut check time. Personally, I am anxious about praying this way. I'm anxious about praying uh, a prayer of holy surrender. I'm I'm anxious about praying, Thy will be done. Because if Jesus praying this way is any indication, God's will very well may put me on a path that I want to avoid. Taking on... This prayer posture of Jesus, where we choose to be open to whatever God has for us, it feels very, very risky. Because I don't know about you, but when making a decision, I like to weigh all of my options. I like to be able to get on Google and do research. I want to feel like I am fully prepared before any decision is made. But when we pray prayers of holy surrender, 
that prayer takes us out of the position of power. It requires us to trust that God truly knows what is best for us. Especially when we are tempted to think that what is best for us is different than what God has said. Especially when disobedience would be easier. Especially when rebellion offers instant gratification. Now, I know I've shared this before, but I'll share it again because it is true. Jonah is by far my favorite minor prophet. Because unlike Amos and Micah and all those goody-two-shoes prophets we find in the Old Testament, Jonah is a selfish, scared little man. And I can relate to that. (laughs) The story of Jonah begins that the Lord's message came to Jonah. Go immediately to Nineveh, that large capital city, and announce judgment against its people because their wickedness has come to my attention. Verse 3, instead, Jonah immediately headed off to Tarshish to escape from the commission of the Lord. We need to catch that. God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah goes to the port, and he gets on a boat that's going in the opposite direction. And while on the boat, a huge storm comes up, and Jonah realizes that the boat will only be saved if he is thrown overboard. He's swallowed by a fish. The storm goes away. And for three days, Jonah, in the belly of this fish, confesses and repents of his sin and rebellion. And on the third day, the fish spits him out onto the dry land. And then Jonah reluctantly submits to God's call and goes to Nineveh to preach of the destruction of the city. And it seems like Jonah takes a certain pleasure in this, right? I mean, this would be like, um, you know, like going to Ann Arbor and preaching on you know, how once more the team that resides there will likely win like eight or nine games this year because that's who they are. But anyway, so, so, so he reluctantly, he goes to Nineveh, he preaches the city's destruction, he takes a certain pleasure in it, and then something completely unexpected happens. The people of Nineveh, they hear his preaching, and they repent. The entire city, 120,000 people, turn from their wickedness, and they call for God to be gracious. And chapter 3 ends this way. When God saw their actions, that they turned from their evil way of living, God relented concerning the judgment he had threatened them, and he did not destroy them. Now, How do you think my guy Jonah took this? The pleasure he had taken saying that your city's going to be destroyed, you're all going to die. Obviously, for God to change his mind greatly displeased Jonah. 
he became very angry. In verse 2, he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, this is just what I thought would happen when I was in my own country. This is what I tried to prevent by escaping to Tarshish. Because I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, that you are slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and one who relents concerning threatened judgment concerning threatened judgment. So now, Lord, kill me instead, because I would rather die than live. Jonah is so bitter. So salty. Jonah would rather die than see good come to his enemies, the Ninevites. And I sort of get this. Uh, this past week, um, Michigan football's blog, the MGO blog, um, they posed the question, uh, would the fans of the Wolverines rather see their team go 8-4 and four and beat Ohio State or go 11-1 and one and lose to them? And 57% of Michigan fans preferred going 11-1 and, and losing to Ohio State. I guess they're just used to it. But this would never happen in Ohio. Like 57% of Ohio State fans would not take that deal. Because we know that an 8-4 and four season winning the last game of the year is a whole lot more satisfying than going 11-1 and one and losing to them. We remember the Cooper years. <laughs> and I love God's response to Jonah in verse 4, are you really so very angry? In chapter 4, Jonah takes refuge under a plant that has supernaturally grown and then was eaten by a worm. And once more, we see Jonah flying off the handle. He's so angry that this plant has died. He gets emotional. And once again, he's ready to die. And the story of Jonah ends like this. In verse 10 of chapter 4, God says, You were upset about this little plant, something for which you have not worked, nor did you do anything to make it grow. It grew up overnight, and it died the next day. Should I not be even more concerned about Nineveh, this enormous city? There are more than 120,000 people in it who do not know right from wrong. Jonah was so wrapped up in what he wanted that he wasn't able to see that God used him to do a miracle to turn 120,000 people back to God. When we take on this posture of holy surrender and we pray for God's will to be done, we do this because if we don't, we are going to miss it when God does a miracle through us. And if we are self-absorbed enough and our desires are in opposition to God's will, we will not only miss it when God does a miracle through us, we're going to be angry when God works in and through our lives. 
Because our prayers really do have the power to affect outcomes. And God really does respond to our prayers. But sometimes, the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, in and through our prayers, the work the Holy Spirit wants to do is the work of changing us. To take away our vain, misguided assumptions of control and to bring us back into alignment with God's preferred future for us. R.C. Sproul writes that prayer does not change things. Or no. How do you get the first line of a quote wrong? It takes skill, let me just say. We'll try that again. So R.C. Sproul writes, Prayer does change things. All kinds of things. But the most important thing it changes is us. As we engage in this communion with God more deeply and come to know the one with whom we are speaking more intimately, that growing knowledge of God reveals to us all the more brilliantly who we are and our need to change in conformity to Him. Prayer changes us profoundly. So then what does it look like to give all that we know of ourselves to all that we know of God? What does it look like to have a posture of holy surrender? What does it look like to choose to trust Jesus completely and choose to be obedient to how God is calling us? Uh, these are, are the questions that are at the very core of what it is to be a Christian. And these are the questions that we answer together in community. Because none of us have the tools to properly navigate the Christian life on our own. God has hardwired this into us as a feature of the way we've been made. We need each other. We need the church universal. Because without the community of faith, we are limited in our understanding. Uh, just last night, I was over at um, the Purple Door Church uh, at their Saturday night service, and I was, um, I was preaching on uh, unity in the book of Ephesians. Um, and I talked about how for 50 years, the, the, the literature that pastors would read operated under this assumption that the other churches in your community, they're your competition. So you have to do music better than them. Uh, you have to do uh, children's ministry better than them. You need to have a, a more streamlined, business-like structure. But the reality is that the other churches in town were not then and are not now our competition. Our competition is a spirit of the age which tells us that we can trust us and only us. The only hand I can rely on is the hand at the end of my arm. That it is my own ingenuity and cleverness that is going to save me. That it's my own goodness that's going to save me. When the Gospel reminds us time and time again, the lives that we live and the future that is laid out for us is the grace and the generosity of God. 
Jesus prays, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. And this really has a a, a pleasing rhythm and cadence uh, in English. Uh, But in the Greek, there's, there's something else going on here. This word that we typically translate will um, is a a strange way to translate this Greek word, which is normally translated desire. Um, And the verb that we typically translate be done, so your will be done, um, it's it's a much more colorful phrase in the Greek. It's, It's this idea of being birthed into existence. It's, it's the same sort of concept that we saw at creation. So Jesus' prayer, your will be done, is a prayer that, that is more closely matching this idea of praying that God's desires would be birthed into existence. That there would be a, a, a supernatural creation of God's desire into our lives. Uh, Sue Nilsson Kibbe describes the implication of, of this shift in our thinking about prayers of holy surrender by saying that through prayer we bring ourselves to the supernatural threshold of God's love and grace, asking God to do what only God's wisdom and power is capable of doing. We withhold attempting to give specific instructions and instead place everything into God's amazing, grace-filled grasp. This is not resigning ourselves to the will of God rather than the will of me. It is the work of our holy imagination anticipating what it would look like for God's desire to emerge and be accomplished through our lives lived in holy surrender. Because the goal of history ultimately is the emergence of the kingdom of God so that creation and creator can know one another face to face. And the example of Christ and the way he teaches us to pray is confident submission to the Father so that the kingdom can emerge in us. And that's my prayer for us. That we would discover more and more how to trust Jesus completely that we would discover uh, more and more that God's best for us is better than any best we can manufacture on our own. That, That we would discover more and more that when we live lives that are perpetually anticipating the fullness of God's kingdom breaking into existence, That when we live lives where we are uh, anti-Jonas, we will see God do miracles left and right. And we will be able to take joy in seeing the kingdom of God break forth 
and break through in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Let's pray together. Most holy and gracious God, we thank you that you are infinitely wiser than we are. That you are infinitely more loving than we are. That as smart as we think we are and as much as we think we love ourselves, you are smarter and you love us more. So Lord, give us the courage to trust you with every moment of our futures. Give us the courage to pray the prayer of holy surrender, Lord, your will be done. Lord, we want to see your desire burst forth in our lives. Lord, give us the courage to pray that way. Give us the courage to live lives of expectation of the work of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.